Welcome to another episode of our digitally remastered old-time radio shows from SolvedMystery.com. Visit our website for complete collections of your favorite old-time radio series. Remember to follow us so you won't miss new releases from SolvedMystery.com. How to do? This is Tide Brooks. One of the most intriguing side aspects of detection, and one of the most irritating from the police viewpoint, is a number of pests and cranks who come forward whenever a major crime has been committed. For instance, there are always the well-meaning amateurs who are sure they could solve the whole thing in next to no time if given the chance. Then there are the psychic ones who claim to have seen the criminal in a crystal ball or a Ouija board or in a dream. Then there are the sensationalists who build up casually heard gossip and rumors into sworn statements of fact. Also, there are the anonymous letter writers who make the wildest accusations against the most improbable people. And more often than you might realize, there are the psychopathic cases who make spurious confessions to the crime and demand to be arrested. I call these people pests because their activities are a hindrance to proper investigation. And often they have harmful and occasionally tragic results. You think I overstate the case? Believe me, I don't. To prove my point, let me tell you the story of Major General Charles Edward Luard and his wife Caroline, and then you can judge for yourself. In the early years of this century, there were few better known or more widely respected couples in the whole county of Kent than General and Mrs. Luard. The general had retired in 1887 at the age of 48, and since then he and his wife had lived at Item Knoll near Sevenoaks. Their life was placid and pleasant. The general was a magistrate and a member of the county council, and for relaxation he played golf at the Wilderness Country Club. Despite the fact that the club was three miles from his home, he usually walked there and back, and so it was not at all unusual when, soon after lunch on August the 24th, 1908, he said to his wife, uh, care for a walk, my dear. Oh, I don't know, Charles. I have a lot of sewing to do. Oh, nonsense, my dear. Do you go to get out in the air? Nothing like a walk after me. Best thing in the world. How far do you propose going? Well, matter of fact, I thought I'd walk over to the club and pick up my sticks. Walter had his gardener lay out a putting green at Barton Court, and he wants me to try it. Oh, I couldn't possibly walk that far. Besides, I have to be back for tea. Mrs. Stewart's coming. Oh. Well, yeah. uh, I'll tell you what, Tim. You know that summer house at the edge of the wood by Horace Wilkinson's place? Yes. Well, that's only a mile or so from here. We'll go that way. If you're feeling tired, I'll leave you there and you can rest a while and then come home. Oh, well, all right, dear. That's a spirit, old girl. Now, we'll take Paddy along for company, shall we? Yes. Well, well, Paddy, walk, walk, walk. Walk, walk. Now, now, that's enough, that's enough. Are you ready, my dear? You want to change or anything like that? No, I'll just go as I am, I think. Good. Oh, come on, then. No point wasting time. Half an hour's leisurely walking brought them to the summer house. It was a charming little spot, locally known as the Casa, situated in a quiet spot, fringed by a clump of tall firs and adjoining a pond. And there for a while they paused. Well, how about it, my dear? You feel like coming any further? No, I don't think so, Charles. I'll just sit here a while and then I'll return home. Yeah. Well, are you sure you're all right? Yes, of course. You wouldn't like me to leave Paddy with you for company. Oh, no, thanks. You go on, dear. Don't worry about me. Oh, it was just as you say. You'll be home for tea, won't you? Oh, yes, I should think so. <laughs> Not much point hanging around at the club. Well, uh, goodbye, my dear. Goodbye, Charles. Paddy, Paddy, come on, boy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 
Now that he'd only his dog for company, General Lord walked much more quickly. About three o'clock, he reached the country club, collected his golf clubs, and set off on the homeward journey a few minutes later. About half past three, when he was walking along the road to Item, at a point roughly midway between the club and the summer house... compliments to Mrs. Stewart and ask her if she might wait in a little longer. And I'll walk back to the summer house and fetch you, mistress. Uh, here, here, take these golf clubs inside. Very right? good, sir. And so, once more, General Luard set out for the little house on the edge of the woods. About five o'clock, Mr. Wilkinson's coachman, Wickham, was digging in the garden of his cottage a couple of hundred yards from the summer house and separated from it by a thicket of trees when suddenly... Help! Help! General Luard! What's the matter? Oh! Oh, thank heaven you're here, Wickham. You, 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 you've got to help me. Yes, of course, sir. But what's it all about? Those dreadful things happened. My poor wife, she, she, she's been murdered. Murdered? In the summer house. But how, sir? Who did it? I, I don't know. I went back to fetch her for tea. When I found her, I thought at first she'd fainted. And, and I realized she was dead. How had she been killed, sir? Shot through the head, I think. I was so horrified, I hardly stopped to look. You, you've got to come with me at once, Wickham. Now, take it easy, General. You're just about done in. Never mind about me, man. Don't you realize what I'm telling you? Yes, of course, sir. But it's no good getting panicky. I'll send my wife up to the house to telephone for the police and the doctor. What you need right now is a good stiff brandy, sir. And when you've had that, we'll go back as soon as you feel up to it. Chief Constable of Kent, Colonel Ward, who was also a close friend of General Lord, was on the scene, and before dusk, Inspector Scott of Scotland Yard had arrived and taken charge. You say, General, you left your wife in the summer house shortly after two o'clock and found her body when you returned about five. Yes, that'd be about it. I can't be positive about times, you know. I'm not one of these fellows who looks at his watch every five minutes. Right, and between those times, you walked to your golf club, walked home, discovered your wife missing and walked back to the summer house. Yes, that's right. Now, when you first found your wife, that is to say, before you called Wickham, did you touch or move anything? No. You didn't try to lift her up or cover her body or anything like that? No, it was all of such a shock, you see, and the only thing I could think of was that I must get help. Of course. So you ran to Wickham's cottage, and after he'd sent messages to the police and the doctor, you and he returned to the summer house together. Yes. 
You had your dog with you, I understand. Tell me, General, is he a good watchdog? Oh, one of the best. If anybody, a stranger, had been concealed in the summer house or in the woods nearby, would your dog have barked? Oh, I, I'm sure he would. So we can take it that at the time you first left your wife there, and also when you found her dead, there was no one in the immediate vicinity. Well, that sounds reasonable enough. Now, I understand two diamond rings your wife was wearing are missing now. Yes. And this makes you suspect robbery was the motive. Well, naturally. You don't think taking the rings might just have been a cover-up, do you? Well, how do you mean? Well, might it have been possible that whoever killed your wife stole the rings to hide his real motive? What I'm trying to get at, sir, is this. Did your wife have any enemies? People who wished her harm? Well, she, she, she hadn't an enemy in the world. Thank you, sir. That'll be all. You'll, uh, you'll do everything you can to find the murderer, won't you, Inspector? Yes, yes, of course, sir. You leave it to us. Poor old Lord. This has been quite a shock to him, I'm afraid. Naturally, it would be. Now, Colonel Ward, a little more information from you, if you don't mind. Certainly, my dear sir. What is it you wish to know? Uh, first of all, I want you to describe to me exactly how you found Mrs. Lord's body. She was lying on her back on the veranda of the summer house in a pool of blood. Her dress was torn, and a pocket in it had been ripped completely away. As though someone had been searching for valuables? Precisely. Carry on, please. There were two bullet wounds, one on either side of the head. In addition to this, the back of her skull had been battered. There was no sign of a weapon, of course. None. No possibility of suicide, then? Absolutely not. She was murdered. Most brutally, too. And this skull injury, have the doctors any theory about that? Yes. One thinks it may have been caused by a blow from a heavy stick. And the other? He believes it was caused when she fell and struck her head on the veranda. However, as both agree it was the bullet wounds that killed her, their points are rather immaterial, don't you think? My dear Colonel, in a murder investigation, no points immaterial. Now... I presume everything possible has been done to track down the murderer? Yes, certainly. And is still being done. The whole area hereabouts in a radius of six miles is being thoroughly combed. A close watch for suspicious characters is being kept on all roads and paths. The police have orders to stop everyone they see and require them to give an account of their movements. Every householder living in the area has been questioned. So far, with no results? I'm afraid not. It to look as though whoever did the job made a clean getaway. He left no tracks at all. None that we've been able to find. Then to all intents and purposes, you're still completely in the dark about the whole thing. Yes. My personal opinion is that the criminal was a hot picker, or at any rate a tramp or a gypsy. Kent's always inundated with odd characters at this time of the year. Quite. Still, that is only your opinion. I mean, you've no evidence to support it. Mm, no, no. It's just a reasonable assumption. I'm afraid we've little use for assumptions in our business, Colonel. We prefer to deal with facts. Now, just one more point. Have the doctors any idea of when the murder took place? They estimate between 3 and 3.30. You received no outside confirmation of this, of course. As a matter of fact, we have. Mrs. Wickham, the coachman's wife, says she heard two shots about quarter past three. Did it occur to her to investigate them? Apparently not. Why not? She thought it was a nearby farmer, a man called Kettle, shooting at sparrows. He often does, I understand. Perhaps it was Kettle, or someone else similarly engaged. Perhaps the shots Mrs. Wickham heard weren't those that killed Mrs. Lord at all. 
That's possible, isn't it? Yes. Yes, I suppose so. And since the doctor's estimate of the time of death can never be any more than an intelligent guess, it's possible, I don't say probable, but it's possible that Mrs. Luard might not have been killed much before, well, for instance, four o'clock. It could be, I suppose. All the same, Inspector, you, you don't suggest for a minute... My dear fellow, I suggest nothing. All I'm trying to do in my own humble way is to arrive at the facts. Facts. How does Scotland Yard proceed to sift through this mass of rumor, false confessions and gossip to secure the facts about death in the wood? treated by the London newspapers as a first-class sensation. And when the inquest opened at item no, two days later, swarms of reporters and photographers invaded the place demanding admission. Most of them were refused. At the end of a long day's sitting, it was obvious that the police had made little progress in solving the mystery. As no further witnesses appear to be forthcoming, and as the evidence we have heard to date has given us no hint whatever as to the identity of the person who committed this brutal crime, we can only trust that further police inquiries will yield more tangible results. Now, you have no option, therefore, but to adjourn this inquest to a date to be fixed. And now it was that the rumors and gossip began in earnest. The next morning's newspapers carried full reports of the evidence at the inquest. And that evening, as you can imagine, the murder of Mrs. Lord was the sole topic of conversation in every village pub in Canada. What's the use searching the woods any longer? But as well back in London, but now you can bet. I will never find him now. What makes you so sure he come from London in the first place? It says so here in the paper. That's right. Colonel Ward reckon he was one of pickers. Come down for the season or maybe a tram. Uh, he was only guessing. What's he know? You ask me, they do better to look much nearer home. What might you mean by that? How do we know she was dead when the general found her? It's only his word for it. You ain't suggesting he did it, are you? Better be careful what you say, Tommy. I'm not suggesting nothing. But I know what I know. Well, what do you know? You think I'm just talking, don't he? Well, I'll tell you something. My old woman's friendly with one of the housemaids up at the knoll. She says the general and Mrs. Luard was always having angry words with one another. Hey, come to think of it, I were daddy and four of them a couple of Saturdays ago, and they didn't half keep going on at each other. Ah, you're a couple of gossiping old women, that's what you are. Goes to show he had a motive, don't it? Don't talk through the top of your head. If every man who ever had an argument with his wife was the killer, there'd not be a married woman left in England. Have it your own way. But if you ask me, the old general knows a lot more than what he's told so far. You mark my words. And so, incredible as it must seem, without foundation or justification of any sort whatever, the rumors spread. And in the way the rumors do, as they pass from mouth to mouth, Vague conjectures became accepted as statements of fact. All sorts of wild theories were advanced by amateur criminologists, and every day the now harassed and completely baffled police found themselves further distracted by false leads. Oh, yes, I mean, it looks promising, sir. Oh, what's that, Sergeant? Well, I just had a report in from a Tunbridge pawnbroker, sir, that a strange woman and a sandy-haired man have been trying to pledge a diamond ring. From the description of it, it sounds like it might be one that was stolen from Mrs. Luard. Good. Get Tunbridge police on the phone and have them detain the man and woman. Have the ring sent here at once for identification. Ah, very good, sir. 
But on examination of the ring, General Lourad said it was nothing like either of those stolen from his wife. And since it came from a sixth-day bazaar, this seemed fairly obvious. One evening, a drunk lurches into Bow Street and confesses to the murder. The next morning, in a more sober frame of mind, he retracts his confession and is sent home with a stern warning. The same day, in a London park, a police constable finds a man's coat beside the pond and pinned to it a letter. My dear father, I cannot bear the suspense any longer. The item business has been playing on my mind. It was I who fired the shots there, but the devil was in me. By the time you get this, I shall be beyond human aid. Your unhappy son, John Storm. Blimey, this looks like a case for headquarters. Pond and others in the vicinity were dragged. There was no sign of a body. The coat was never identified and no trace was ever found of a missing man named John Storm. Meanwhile, the rumors were continuing in an ever-growing spate, and soon the police were being flooded with anonymous letters. Look at them. Six in last night's post, eight more this morning. I know. I've been getting them, too. You've not mentioned anything to me about it? I hardly thought it necessary. What have you done with them? Destroyed them, of course, as I imagine you'll be doing with those. I certainly shall not. No, Colonel, in your position as Chief Constable, should you have done such a thing. Well, what do you mean? I mean, sir, it is your duty to hand all such communications over to me. And in future, I must insist that you do so. For all we know, you may unwittingly have destroyed valuable evidence. You're not serious, Inspector. I most certainly am. But hang it all, those I've received have been nothing but a tissue of malicious lies and accusations against poor old Lua. You must let me be the judge of that. Am I to understand it's Scotland Yard's custom to heed every scurrilous unsigned letter it receives? It's our custom, Colonel Ward to investigate everything that might conceivably be of the slightest aid to us, even anonymous letters. But I, I mean to say that the whole thing's so absurd. You're not suggesting that Colonel Luard did have anything to do with his wife's death, are you? I can only repeat, sir, it's my job to investigate every possibility. But this isn't a possibility. No? No, of course it's not. You know the facts yourself as well as I do. Mrs. Luard was killed at some time between 3 and 3.30. At 3 o'clock, General Luard was at his golf club, more than two miles away. 3.30, he was on his way home. Still at least a mile from the summer house. Therefore, he couldn't have killed her. You overlook one point, Colonel. What's that? We've no proof Mrs. Luard was killed between three and half past. But the doctor said that... As I told the reporter, the doctors can do no more than hazard a guess. To reach his cupboard three, General Luard need not necessarily have left his wife to, say, 20 past two. Then again, after meeting the vicar on the road at 3.30... He could have cut through the woods and reached the summer house at ten to four. He could have killed her at either of those times. But dash it all, Inspector. It, it's utterly fantastic. Why? Because, well, because I've, I've known Luard for years and years. He and his wife were extremely devoted to each other. No reason on earth why he should want to do her any harm. Besides, he's, he's not the type to commit murder. Few murderers are, Colonel. That's begging the question. Absolutely no evidence of any kind to link Luard with his wife's death. And I must say, I'm, I'm amazed you should even attempt to do so. You misunderstand me, sir. I'm not attempting to do so. But you just said... I merely said that on the facts we have at our, our disposal, it's possible he could have done the job. Frankly, I don't believe he killed his wife any more than you do. In fact, I'm quite sure he didn't. Then what are we arguing about? I wasn't aware we were arguing. All I'm trying to make you realize is that we can't afford to reject any hypothesis that it's proven wrong. And when I say proven, I mean beyond any possible shadow of doubt. Do I make myself clear? Yes. Yes, of course. 
I'm sorry we've been at such cross purposes. And in future, I can rely on you to hand me any communications you receive, whether signed or unsigned, no matter what their content. Uh, certainly. So three weeks passed, but the police, despite their most painstaking efforts, no nearer to a solution of the mystery of Mrs. Ruard's murder. By now, public interest has begun to wane, and the flow of anonymous letters has become appreciably less. Rather than stay any longer among the sad memories of him, General Luard advertised item no to let, and on the evening of September the 17th, he presented himself at the house of his friend, Colonel Ward. Uh, I say, Ward, I'm wondering whether you'd do me a favor. Certainly, my dear fellow. What is it? Well, I've just had word from my son that he's due home on leave from Natal. Splendid. Yes, he's due in Southampton in a few days. So I thought I'd go down tomorrow and stay with friends till he arrives. Well, I just don't like going back to the Knoll somehow, so... I was hoping you might put me up for the night. Why, of course, my dear chap. It'll be a pleasure to have you. Oh, well, that's jolly decent of you. I'll go home and fetch my things. You certainly shan't. You'll stay right here. Now send one of the servants for them. After dinner that night, General Lord seemed almost as upset. Colonel Ward carefully avoided any mention of the tragedy in the summer house, and it was the general himself who finally brought it up. I'm getting a few letters lately, you know. Letters? You mean from friends? Well, yes, and from Ethel, too. Oh, I don't know. Blighters never sign their names. You mean anonymous letters? Yes, that's right. A bit disgusting, sir. I mean, suppose you and that Scotland Yard fellow have been getting them too. Yes, we we have had a few. Pretty caddish sort of trick, didn't we? Vile. I think anyone could stoop so low. I shouldn't take the slightest notice of them if I were you. Oh, I must admit that I was a bit rattled at first, but oh, I've rather got used to them now. <laughs> It's amazing how one duck is used to things, isn't it? I'm terribly sorry, old man. It's a most distressing business altogether. Oh, not at all, not at all. So, talking of letters, uh, I have a few of my own I must write before the morning. So, uh, if you don't mind, I think I'll push off up to my room. Hmm? Certainly. You won't like just one more glass of port? Uh, no, thanks, sir. Well, uh, good night, Alfred. Good night. Next morning at a quarter to nine, when Colonel Ward came down for breakfast, there was no sign of his guest. Worried, but not quite knowing why, have you seen General Luard this morning? Yes, sir. He went out about half an hour ago. Out? Where to? He said he was going for a stroll in the grounds, sir. He knew breakfast was at 8.45, didn't he? Yes, sir, I reminded him. He said he'd be back in time. Well, I don't see any sign of him. You'd better send one of the servants out after him. Very good, sir. General Luard was not to be found in the grounds, nor anywhere else in the vicinity. Fifteen minutes later, at a train from Maidstone that passed the test and level crossing at 9 a.m. was approaching this point, the driver, looking ahead, saw an elderly man on the footpath by the railway line. Keep your distance, Grandpa, or we'll be singeing your whiskers. Hey, hey, look out! The silly old goose walking onto the line! Here, put on them brakes! tragic news from a local policeman. Shockingly mangled he was, sir. You might well imagine. I don't suppose there's any doubt in the world it was General Luard. No, sir. There was his initials on Act Chief and the driver's description of him. And this, sir. We found it in his pocket. A letter? For me? Yes, sir. My dear Ward, 
I'm sorry to have to return your kindness in this way, but I'm satisfied it's best to join her in the second life at once. I can be of no further use to anyone in this world of which I'm tired, and I do not wish to live any longer. I thought that my strength was sufficient to bear up against the horrible imputations and terrible letters which I have received. Now, however, in the last day or two, something seems to have snapped. My strength has left and I care for nothing except to join her again. So goodbye, dear friend, to both of us. P.S. I shall be somewhere on the railway line. Mm. It's a bad business, sir. It'll be a very bad business for some letter writers if ever I get my hands on them. An inquest on General Lloyd's death was held the following day. None of the facts were in dispute, and keeping up that old legal fiction that no man in possession of his senses would knowingly take his own life, the jury returned a verdict of suicide while temporarily insane. Four days after that, the adjourned inquest of Mrs. Lord's murder was resumed. And when what little new evidence there was had been given, the coroner summed up. This case with which we've dealt today is without doubt one of the most mysterious and horrible crimes on record. It was most cunningly conceived and most daringly carried out. And nothing has transpired that points to the direction in which the perpetrator is to be found. In the circumstances, lady and gentlemen of the jury, there is only one verdict which you can return. Willful murder by some person or person unknown. And there it ended, and still ends. For to this day, the mystery of the death of Caroline Eriloir remains unsolved, and probably will remain so for all time. Thank you for joining us and enjoying our digitally remastered old-time radio shows from SolvedMystery.com. Please remember to leave us a review and to follow us for frequent releases.